Listen as Dr. Glenn Pierce from the World Federation of Hemophilia and Dr. Robert Peters, an independent consultant, discuss lentivirus in relation to gene therapy. This podcast is part of a comprehensive educational resource designed by leading experts for the global hemophilia community to help you stay abreast of the evolving science and latest clinical advancements in gene therapy in hemophilia. Visit www.genetherapy.isth.org for more information. Hello. My name is Glenn Pierce. I'm the Vice President for Medical for the World Federation of Hemophilia. I am here today with Rob Peters to talk about lentiviruses. I'd like to first ask Rob if he could introduce himself. Thanks, Glenn. Sure. Uh, My name is Rob Peters. I've worked in the uh, industry for a little bit over 20 years now, primarily in research, uh, but involved also in the development of a couple of products in the hemophilia space. Thanks, Rob. Well, why are we talking about lentiviruses? We're talking about lentiviruses because we have been focused largely in the gene therapy for hemophilia space on adeno-associated viruses, AAV. We have multiple clinical trials ongoing with AAV, uh, and it's been a proven modality in delivering the factor eight and factor nine genes in hemophilia, both in a series of animal studies as well as now in a series of human studies. But there are other alternatives to delivering uh, the factor VIII and the factor IX genes, and that's what we're here to talk about today. So let me start with the basic question, Rob. What are lentiviruses? Sure. So these are a a class of viruses that, you know, like all viruses, uh, are naturally occurring. But over the years, um, scientists have taken those, you know, naturally occurring viruses and modify them in a way to create what we usually term as vectors. And so lentiviral vectors are another gene delivery uh, modality that have been developed by scientists. Well, how are they different from AAV, the vectors that we're all very familiar with? Sure, so just like uh, analogous to AAV, um, scientists have identified what are the critical parts for the viruses for uh, delivering their gene therapy cargo, as well as what are the parts that are responsible for, in the case of lentiviruses such as HIV, for them being pathogenic. And they've modified those so that we can try and actually use those to deliver genes for expression. So the differences are they have a greater cargo capacity, so you can actually fit more coding sequence into a lentivirus. I guess, broadly speaking, for putting something like the control elements and expression for making a B domain deleted factor eight, it's like putting five pounds of stuff into a four pound bag when you put that into AAV, which has certain implications. Um, you can think of lentivirus as an eight pound bag. Okay, well, that's very helpful. And since this is a virus or derived from a virus, um, the natural question is uh, viruses can cause disease. Uh, does lentivirus cause disease? Well, so, of course, the, the most known lentiviruses that people think of is HIV, which, of course, does cause disease. In the case of the lentiviral vectors, though, um, scientists have identified and taken out all the portions that were responsible for the pathogenicity. And in fact, they've changed things, including the surface uh, envelope, the, the surface of the virus. Uh, and so this is in some ways analogous to how people have heard that you know, there's AAV viruses that people use uh, fairly directly to make vectors, but there's also people changing the outside of that AAV capsid, if you will. Um, that's what's been done with lentiviruses, that they've changed the envelope protein 
uh, to be different than the uh, normal HIV and instead express a different, known as VSVG, uh, surface envelope. All right, so it's a different vector system, a different virus, uh, different characteristics. It seems like it would provide an alternative for gene therapy. Have they been used in gene therapy clinical trials? Yeah, and in fact, they have, um, although I would say most of the uses to date have been for using in what are known as ex vivo applications. And that's where you basically take the cells out of the person, and typically they're blood cells like hematopoietic stem cells, you use the virus to actually uh, transduce those cells or the lentiviral vectors to transduce those cells outside of the person. And then you put those corrected cells back into the person after you've actually uh, put them through some type of myoablation to basically uh, make room, if you will, for the cells in the marrow. And so that's how, in fact, there's been more lentiviral vector gene therapy trials than AAV, uh, broadly speaking, but those have been primarily ex vivo therapies. That sounds incredibly complicated, uh, especially compared to giving an intravenous injection of AAV. Are there products that are actually approved using lentivirus? Yeah, actually, uh, there are. There's um, two that uh, come to mind, uh, one for a cancer treatment, uh, CAR-T, and one in Europe approved for treating beta thalassemia. It sounds like the lentivirus field is well-developed. A number of clinical trials, some products that are approved, very similar to AAV. What's happening in hemophilia? Is there lentiviral work uh, designed to deliver the factor eight or factor nine genes in hemophilia? Yeah, and, and, and indeed they are. Um, there aren't as far along, of course, as the AAV therapies. And it's interesting, you mentioned the complexity, which there is with ex vivo treatments. And in fact, there are clinical trials open for ex vivo treatments for uh, hemophilia A uh, using the process I, I described previously. But what's also interesting is there's now uh, growing preclinical work that have been done on an in vivo treatment. And so in some ways, very similar to the way that AAV therapies are administered where the lentiviral vectors would be given systemically, so you know, given by IV administration, um, and be able to transduce liver cells and provide expression of factor eight and factor nine. And there's actually been a fair number of animal studies all the way through non-human primates demonstrating the ability of lentiviral vectors to uh, uh, mediate expression to normal levels of factor eight and factor nine. It sounds as if we have two very different directions in hemophilia then for lentiviral vectors. One is the ex vivo approach that you described for all of the other diseases earlier, where we take the stem cells out to treat them, put them back in, but we have to do some myeloablation in order to make room for them uh, in the bone marrow again. And then the other is similar to what we do with AAV, which is just a direct intravenous infusion. Do you see the pros and cons on these um, being any different? Yeah, actually, there are some uh, interesting differences. Uh, one aspect that I uh, didn't yet mention is that lentiviral vectors um, deliver their gene cargo in a way that integrates into the host genome. Um, and so, you know, there's some uh, considerations for that. You know, on the safety side, people do worry uh, about integration when they hear about it. 
um, primarily because of reflecting on um, in the decades past with uh, a different kind of integrating vector where the integrating vector turned on nearby oncogenes and actually uh, caused some leukemias, for example, with these gamma retrovirus vectors. So that's a concern, although I would say that uh, the lentiviral vectors are very different. And now uh, scientists have, over the last few decades, taken the learnings of that biology to develop these third-generation self-inactivating lentiviral vectors, which are being used today in both the ex vivo therapies, as well as these in vivo therapies I mentioned for hemophilia, which are actually the first time lentiviral vectors have been used in vivo for systemic delivery. In the hemophilia population, safety is of paramount importance since we've got clotting factor replacement therapies. Uh, it's going to be important that the gene therapies offer comparable levels of safety. Do you have any thoughts on where we need to be aware and uh, vigilant in terms of safety with lentiviruses? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, taking all of those points, I totally agree with what we've seen in the hemophilia community. Um, what I would say, though, is that although it's only recently that uh, scientists have started looking at lentiviral vectors in vivo, I think you can leverage the learnings from those ex vivo applications. And in fact, there's been you know now well over 100 people treated with lentiviral vectors ex vivo, where they can then follow these integration sites in the cells that have been transduced into the people for, you know, in some cases over 10 years. And not only have they not observed those same types of oncogenesis, but at a molecular level, they can see the integration sites aren't changing in a way that would make you worried about potential oncogenesis ongoing. So I think that's reassuring. And of course, we'll have to continue to follow that in clinical trials. And can you comment on children? For AAV, for instance, it will be difficult to use AAV in small children. It's thought that it is likely not to work in small children. Since lentivirus integrates, are there any issues with going into children? Yeah, and so in fact, that's the, I would say, the flip side of the safety concerns is the advantage of the integrating uh, nature of lentiviral vectors is that in theory, you would think you could be able to treat children because by integrating into the host genome, the viral, uh, the, the, the cargo, the gene cargo will actually grow with the child, if you will. And so you would think that you would be able to have both more durable expression in adults, but possibly that you could treat, you know, infants and children and have that expression uh, keep pace with the growth of the child. And I say that because there's also preclinical data showing whether you treat adult mice or two-day-old mice, that you can see that as those mice grew, um, they were able to maintain expression from growing from, say, 2 grams to 25 grams as adults. And so it raises the potential that this could address what could be a gap uh, with the AAV therapies and that they cannot treat uh, children because of the non-integrating nature of AAV getting essentially diluted out with the growth of the child. All right. Very informative. So it sounds like lentiviruses may be providing yet another modality for gene therapy and hemophilia in the years to come. I'd like to thank Rob for giving us his time today and for giving us some clear-cut explanations for this alternative vector delivery system for potential use clinically in patients with hemophilia. Sure. Thanks for having me. Earn your CME credit by clicking the link for credit. 
check back for more podcasts on gene therapy and hemophilia. Additional education is available on www.genetherapy.isph.org, an educational resource designed by leading experts for the global hemophilia community to help you stay abreast of the evolving science and latest clinical advancements in gene therapy and hemophilia.